0: Hey folks, it's John from As for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with my good friend Nabil Sharif. I've known him for about 15 years now. We've worked as bartenders together. We worked together as Green Camel Press, creating art, comics, and all kinds of cool stuff. We have been drunk together. We have been sober together. We have gone running together. Done numerous things and it's been a long journey for him from drinking to running to being sober and the cool thing is that he does it in his own way there's this whole other perspective and that's one of the reasons why I love having these conversations is that there are ways of of getting sober and there are ways of releasing alcohol that I couldn't do and I love hearing about other people's perspectives and his is a very unique one so without further ado here is my conversation with Nabil Sharif. I'm sitting here with uh, Nabil Sharif to talk about his uh, version of sobriety. Um, we've known each other for 15 years. We've drank copious amounts of alcohol together. We have celebrated uh, the works of Charles Bukowski and many other great alcoholic artists. Yes. <laughs> and, um, I just wanted to talk to you because your your version of sobriety is vastly different from mine, and I don't think that I don't think that mine could work for you, and I don't think that yours could work for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that they're they're both valid, and so it's always fascinating to me to hear somebody else's perspective mm-hmm. of it. Um, but what do you? Like what was your first memory of alcohol? Was it was it a positive one, a negative one?
1: Was it um, parents, no, high school? I remember when we were little kids, my mom took us to Georgia. She was going to a graduate school in Georgia. So for two summers, we went down to Georgia from Illinois. And one summer, as was me and my brother, and these older kids were getting us to drink beer. They would say, I'll give you a quarter if you can finish this beer. So we would try chugging the beer, And we couldn't do it. And they were like, well, you don't get the quarter, but you can try again. (laughs) So they were trying to get us drunk. They were trying to get us little kids drunk. And uh, we didn't really know. We just wanted the quarter. Um, So I remember that was the first time I drank. And that was Pabst Blue Ribbon. How old were you? Like eight, maybe? Mm -hmm. Eight or nine? Something like that. But that was the first time drinking beer. didn't seem so bad. Uh, But really... Uh, alcohol was always kind of around like I I didn't drink when I was like a, uh, a young teenager like I didn't really start drinking still seriously until around 16 or 17 they would let the juniors and seniors leave high school for lunch we had an hour lunch break and so we would go drink beer during our lunch break
0: and it it did, did it cause any problems in high school? Were you adversely affected it? I, I know that sometimes people, and I felt this way, where you have your first drink and all of a sudden it's like this magic thing where mm. you're like, wow, this is this is the answer to all my problems. But that was that.
1: It was just something to do. And uh, this was in back in Dayton, Ohio. And so drinking beer was, it just was like a socially accepted thing. You wanted to drink beer. I, I did get suspended from high school for drinking beer. Uh, during gym class, uh, somebody narked on me and, uh, told the teacher and I was suspended for five days for drinking beer in high school. So that was kind of a negative thing, but, uh, the problems, the real, the real problems didn't start till much later, still mm-hmm. just mostly fun and recreation, drinking beer. There's no, no bad, real bad things happened. No uh,
0: consequences and... And so, so high school goes along, college, obviously there's some drinking there.
1: It was started in college when I had my first blackout experiences and we really celebrated uh, alcohol uh, quite a bit. We had uh, monthly parties called Drink a Fifth on the Fifth, where you would get your own fifth and you were supposed to drink the whole thing on the fifth of the month. And if the fifth of the month happened to fall on a Friday or Saturday, some of these Drink a Fifths would be huge parties, Uh, but that was was the first time I had some blackout drunks was, uh, in college and, uh. But even then did the blackouts like, did they
0: bother you or were you concerned? They didn't deter me. No, No. I wasn't,
1: (laughs) I really, it wasn't really until I moved to Seattle and went through the seasonal affective disorder and all the depression and also watching other people going through the same kind of alcohol abuse and going down down the drain through the restaurant business, uh, seeing those patterns over and over, and then my own romantic relationships that always involved alcohol, and how they would sort of end either fizzle out or up in flames, but always with some alcohol involved. That's when I started noticing the destructive patterns.
0: Um, And Seattle was also where you started, not where you started working in restaurants, but where it was something... I feel like the the behaviors were more pronounced when you moved to Seattle.
1: I mean, than... there was still all that stuff going on in Cincinnati, but yeah, like the environment kind of got a little bit grim. Uh, the was, weather affected you a lot. The weather was definitely affecting me. The lack of light was leading to more drinking and more drinking and sleeping all the time. And the bartender lifestyle just enhances that where you stay, you're always in a bar somewhere you're eating meatloaf at three in the morning at the five spot or five point or wherever just you know leading that nocturnal lifestyle that's not very healthy and and alcohol is always there
0: and this is around what the year like 98 99 2000 something started, like earlier, started earlier started pretty
1: much like i moved there in 92 and it didn't really get super bad i mean the The weather affected me immediately, but the alcohol abuse was like, I would say it was like 95. And was this
0: during, maybe you can explain to
1: listeners, was this
0: during the rat piss period? Was this that period? That was
1: the rat piss period was 2006, I think. Uh, So that was a little bit later. Okay.
0: But 95 is when the heavy drinking.
1: That's when I started at El Bistro, which was like Hades. That was the underground. That was where a lot of dark energy manifested. I was, that's where I saw a lot of people go down the tubes. That's where you really kind of honed your drinking skills. That's where the pros went. So, you know, the environment was like very conducive to consumption and, and you know, making the, just a joint, you know, like trying to be this bon vivant, this guy, this person who was a drinker, an accomplished drinker could hold his own, you know, and Sit there and consume vast quantities uh, as something to be proud of.
0: And what was your style of drinking, or how did you perceive yourself?
1: Well, you know, when it's back in Cincinnati when I first started off at the drink a fist, I mean, I didn't know anything. I was buying Fist of vodka and drinking it with lemonade. Um, but some of those, like my one friend Howie, he always got a fifth of old granddad, and that's where I started getting into the whiskey was, we would share some of his old granddad, Uh, and then my first grown-up drink was a Maker's Mark Manhattan, and that was in Cincinnati, and I thought I was, had hit the big times then. I had a bartender friend who sort of showed me like, okay, this is how you actually drink, instead of just getting fucked up on booze, this is how you enjoy it. And so, by the time I got to Bistro, and they had all the single malts, and so I wanted to be a connoisseur of that, and and uh, rye whiskey was my favorite, so I was always looking for the ryes. And then I got into the dark rums later, and that's when I really hit my stride. And i like, this is my spirit. I'm going to, like, get mm-hmm. into this rum.
0: So in the late 90s, you become, you're working in a bar. I mean, that must have seemed, I mean, that must have seemed like you had found
1: Mecca. You had, the, you had found the place to be, right? At that stage, that was Mecca, right. That was the alcohol was still in ascendance. And this is like where you wanted to be if that's what you were doing.
0: And there was any number of people to help you along
1: your way, there cast were. of characters. And Well, yes, yes, there were. There were bartenders that had, you know, displayed the craft in a very attractive way. There were attractive women sitting in there drinking. You wanted to be a part of that. You know, your friends, that's where you socialize. You go to various locations around town. And that's, that's where you... That was your environment. That's where you went to see and be seen. Mm
0: -hmm. And any numbers, uh, any number of powders and potions to help
1: you stay up later. And all of the auxiliary components were present. Uh, Yeah, the Seattleites liked to do a lot of. You know, they were doing a lot of cocaine uh, to go along with that. Uh, Some one guy was this constant whiskey, cocaine, and tobacco. I don't know how he could maintain so much like constant consumption, and he's still doing it. This was back in the late 90s, and the guy is still doing it. Um, but I think the bad weather leads to all of that, and then a lot of people had a propensity for heroin and opiates. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're just staying indoors and partying a lot because there's you know, it's too dark and gloomy outside.
0: Yeah. And this goes on for several years until you do your first, uh, well, I guess your second geographical move. What's a? Is in two thousand. Is that when you? I went moved to...
1: to San Francisco in two thousand. Now, what
0: was the impetus to move to San Francisco?
1: So I was working, still working at uh, Il Bistro, and then I was bartending at Zig Zag, had just opened up. Um, I had just broken up with a woman. I. I just didn't feel any kind of a connection uh, to Seattle, and then the opportunity to move to San Francisco, which I had always wanted to do, in an apartment that was very cheap, much cheaper than my rent in San Fr- in Seattle. So I was like, "Let's go. Let's just go see what happens." So I moved down there, um, and then the the alcohol consumption got even worse because uh, I was really lonely in San Francisco, and so. I tried to make friends, I wasn't making any friends, and I was uh, comforting myself with carnitas burritos, six packs of Pacifico, and pints of Makers. It's all I could get in my neighborhood, and I would like consume all of that. I could drink the six of Pacifico and crush the pint, no problem. And then uh, I was gaining a lot of weight from the carnitas burrito, like these huge food logs. And this is what I was doing because I was unhappy, I was sad, I didn't have anybody to hang out with. I just eat and drink, watch BET, <laughs> and got up to like 240. I think was uh, the and heav- that's
0: your that's your heaviest, right? That was I mean, the heaviest that- I, I did was 240. You've been an athlete since high school.
1: Yeah, uh, my weight started to gain. I started to gain more weight uh, living in Seattle. I got because uh, I was always like around 190, 185, 190, and then after a few years of uh, drinking and feeling sad in Seattle, I was. Uh, I my average weight was about 220 mm-hmm. for years and years and then and then 240 at my heaviest in San Francisco and a lot of this again was due to being sad depressed and medicating with alcohol and food
0: and from the outside I mean you were working or you living in San Francisco you you ended up working at one of the premier restaurants mm-hmm. in San Francisco you were at Jardiniere uh-huh during a, I would say its heyday probably well, like yeah. that was it and, was yeah Rubbing elbows or, or serving, serving cocktails and food to
1: yeah Robin Williams and many Hollywood uh, celebrities, movie stars, uh, actors, directors. All of those people came through there. Uh, lots of rich people because it was across the street from the opera house and the symphony. So yeah, a lot of money to be made, uh, but very stressful, um, high, high stress rapid no mistakes allowed kind of service which led to more drinking and any
0: no shortage of bars or oh. people to drink with in san francisco yeah. either i mean Again, it wasn't
1: a, yeah the, the the scene the environment was all restaurant based we'll go here we'll get drunk we'll drink more we'll eat more uh, so it was always consumption always based around that very very uh sort of one note uh this is just what we do it's just the restaurant world
0: um, and did you have any were you ever interested in leaving the restaurant world or was it still at that point where you still like this is where I want to be or? well you
1: just the money like for your skill set what do you you can make the most money in the restaurant but that's why I'm still in it is because I can make the most money for the least amount of hours and uh, I don't want to I want to get out of the business but I don't want to go do something, some clerk or something for less money and more hours. So I I pay the psychic price to shorten the hours. And
0: so how long were you in San Francisco? Three years. And what, um, so it's a pint of makers a night, pint of makers, a six pack of Pacifico, And a burrito, carnitas burrito, Uh maybe one on standby. (laughs) It's Always good to have a burrito on standby. (laughs) Um,
1: And so that goes on for three years. Pretty much. I mean, it was three, yeah, three years with a lot of bad, I mean, the running kept me from hitting the rock bottom, but very isolated and uh, just, you know, paid off loans and debts, um, but did not have like a, a really nourishing social life or close relationships i just had basically one friend my roommate who i didn't see that much and i was like why am i here and the weather wasn't much better than seattle Mm. so it seemed pointless and and then i moved back to seattle and what prompted that move back just i was like at least i can have sex in seattle (laughs) (laughs) there was there's no no romance no ladies i mean there was a couple but nothing it just seemed like a like it was so clicky, I just couldn't find my niche. I couldn't find any people to really hang with. And the ones that I did, they all lived in Oakland. So I had to drive across the bridge and back. And yeah, that just wasn't conducive to like a, a, a consistency of a regular thing, you know, so.
0: Well, and I've always found that in my history, and maybe you would agree that alcohol has not played, is always played a role in, in the destruction of positive healthy relationships of any kind
1: all mine too all of mine or
0: friendship or otherwise the
1: alcohol has been detrimental to all of them
0: um so you moved back to seattle in like three or four 2004 i think and um and at this point where did you where did you work when restaurant
1: zoe was with the first job i got coming back
0: okay so and then that's when we met in 2005 was Five at the, six, the yeah. bar the balmar Belmar,
1: yeah i had been there for a while and then tregg uh, who i worked with in san francisco at jardinier one mm-hmm. day he's at the bar at zoe and so we worked together there and then he said i'm gonna open this place at balmar and i want you to come with me and so I said, okay, and that's that when I met you.
0: And he always had a knack for finding good people. He was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let me get
1: this guy. So that's how that all started.
0: And was that, so was that the Rat Piss eras? That was the Rat Piss so era. So can you explain to the listeners what we mean by that? Rat
1: Piss was a poem that I wrote, was how I described like where I was at at the time. I was so disgruntled with the restaurant business. And and uh, so I wrote this poem. I, don't, I can't remember how it went, but it was about being fed up and Rat Piss seemed to describe.
0: <laughs> it, I feel like it was a series of poems. There wasn't just one. Oh, yeah. Was, the,
1: that was just one poem out of many.
0: Because you gave me that huge, like those old.
1: That IMAX. Neon yeah. IMAX. Yeah, the green it was green. And I remember
0: color. I fired it up. Yes. And you're like, yeah, you can. I don't know if you were going to give it to me to, like get stuff off of it or you were just going to give
1: it to me you were or... supposed to be writing your own stuff because i was
0: going to do i was doing my own bukowski thing in mm-hmm. that weird little like right. studio in downtown seattle Right. and so i fired it up and i found all these poems that you had written and that was the one that popped up was rat piss and mm-hmm. but so it was this whole series of the dreary seattle non-stop drinking non-stop bar hopping yeah and
1: restaurant life and being sad and you know, unfulfilled. Did it ever occur to you, because it didn't didn't to me, that
0: maybe the alcohol was the problem? Like, did you ever have that thought of like, if I stop drinking, that maybe this might be the thing that's really stopping me from all the other stuff?
1: It took me a long time to finally figure out that it was the alcohol. Because I didn't know what else to do. It seemed like such a central part of it. Just like, it didn't matter that there was alcohol it was like oh no it's the job that's wrong it's not I am drinking too much it's just I am unhappy with what I do for work like I that's what I need to change if I if I didn't work this job then it wouldn't be like that and I didn't see that the alcohol was detrimental to not just working and uh, dealing with anxiety or depression or being in a relationship I I never really considered it until I had gone through the cycle enough times. And then I was like, oh, okay, here's a constant that's in every one of these that doesn't seem to help. So it took a long time to get that awareness.
0: Because I, yeah, I always saw it as the answer and not the problem. It was always, well, if something's troubling you, you should have a drink over it. If if you want to go meet some people, you should go find a place to drink because that's where you can meet. Fun people
1: these are the messages that you get the whole time when you you know you go out and you're hanging out in bars and you meet somebody and you they find you attractive you talk to them you're thinking oh this going out drinking things pretty cool I like that Oh, let's go over here let's go over let's see what happens over here. whatever you're doing always seems to be complemented by alcohol if you're having fun you're drinking because it's fun if you're if you're feeling upset or whatever you drink because that takes the edge off. So, somehow, alcohol is always the answer to whatever you're doing. You want to go to the movies? Let's sneak a couple of brews in. Yep. You know, like, oh, I've got a break. I'm going to go have a uh, smoke and a drink. So, it just becomes this constant thing. It's, re- it's uh, reaffirmed with all your friends. It's reaffirmed in your, you know, your reading Bukowski or whoever. Uh, the literature, the movies, everybody celebrates the drinks. It's just looked at as something very cool, socially <clears> acceptable, <throat> something that you want to be doing. And when you don't do that, you feel like, like the first time I stopped drinking, I just I just wanted to see could I go a year without drinking. Mm-hmm. It became a challenge to me. It's like I'm okay. I'm just going to go a year, and I thought that everything would work itself out by not drinking. Like oh okay, so if alcohol is the problem, we'll cut it out, and we'll see. We'll just watch everything get better.
0: And before you got to that point, there was still. I mean, 10 years of drinking, right? So if we're talking like 2004 to 2014.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, there's so, still mean, years of drinking.
0: Then, when you and I knew each other, I remember like we went to go see that Bukowski movie and the whole plan was we're going to meet for some whiskey before.
1: We actually wanted to drink vodka sevens because he drank a lot of vodka <clears throat> sevens. That's right. Okay, yes, yes. And so I was tr- reminded of why I hate vodka. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, <clears throat> so there was, there was years of, of drinking in... Seattle
1: yes years and years um and
0: you you worked multiple different jobs yes I did um and there were there were a couple of relationships that did not
1: a serious one that could have been much better if I had been sober that one was like because that was pretty much one-sided when I the last woman that I dated she didn't really drink that much she might have a sip of wine you know when we went out she might try just a sip of what I was drinking but she hardly drank at all so I was the one I was like oh this is great my girlfriend doesn't drink so I can drink and she can drive you know so we can go out to dinner and I can have as much fun as I want and not have to worry about a DUI but It wasn't until after we broke up, I was like, you know, again, the alcohol played a detrimental part in the relationship. And I was like, what if I would have been sober with her as well, like we could have really had a strong relationship. And uh, I lament not being sober at that time to see how that would have gone. And I don't want to start another relationship. Uh, If I did get into another relationship, I would have wanted to be sobriety on both sides and Mm -hmm. see how that works out.
0: So that doesn't work. You're drinking and you're drinking and you're working in various bars and mm-hmm. um, it's the same... It's, I mean, it's the same cycle every single night, same right? Cycle. Every single week, every single year.
1: But you start to see, like, people that you know start to either have serious uh, health problems or they die. And this becomes more more of a, a theme. And you what, saw this happen? Watching people go down the tubes around you. I saw that happen. I saw young little, like we would have these bussers, these girls would come in an old bistro and they would be all fresh faced and bright eyed and bushy tailed. And, and then in a few months you would see that they had been seduced by the dark side, that they're drinking all the time. They're taking whatever pills. Uh, they're, they're living unhealthy lifestyles. I saw that in two, two women in particular. And then another, this other guy was my bar back and just started drinking and drinking like to where he couldn't work anymore he would he would be too drunk to come in too hung over to be effective over and over i would see that and then it started happening with me like i'm starting to drink too much uh, you just don't feel well you just carry all this pain uh it wears down on you it takes a toll on your health so yeah I, I
0: um and i remember being out drinking with you and you saying thing, and we were doing the same thing, and maybe you had, you had obviously had more experience and more, a, a few more, several more years mm-hmm. of perspective, and I remember you saying things like, why are you in such a hurry to get oh. fucked up? Oh, yeah. I think we were sitting at the People's Pub at the, at the German bar, uh-huh. and what... um, I was like, I don't know, because fucking that's where I need to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you were too fast. You were, you mm-hmm. know, that's the thing with shots. I learned... Because when you black out, it's not it's not a good thing to black out Um, Mm. when you're when you're blacking out on the regular, you're abusing alcohol, you're not using it. You're definitely abusing it. Um, And just watching from my own personal self and watching other people when you do shots, you're you're going too fast, you need to slow it down. I learned how to just be a slow drunk, eat a bunch of food like, yeah, let that alcohol have to go through all that food to get you drunk, you know, slow it down. Don't be in a hurry because then when you're drunk, then what, then you're a mess. Somebody else has to get you home and what, you know, look out, that's just not the way to carry yourself. So nice and deliberate, slow drunk, where you can process everything and do do course. Not all, Mm -hmm. you know, reeling and staggering and all of that. Yeah, I would try to coach the youngsters
0: but even that ultimately did not work to your benefit. That was not ultimately enough of a of a plan or a
1: it's a better plan than being shit faced immediately, but <laughs> it's not a very good plan after that.
0: So so we fast forward to doing the same old thing ten years, you know, a year after year. And um I we had been talking on the phone and I've been living in California and I had sort of a little spare not even almost a room
1: not even almost a room it was
0: a closet without a door basically and what had happened that prompted you to want to come and move in with me okay
1: so i was working in a in a bar that i really liked uh, a rum bar packed with rum that uh, i could finish work and hang out in this place and drink rum and smoke my pipe and entertain some ladies after hours it was awesome much better than going back home So, leading that unhealthy lifestyle, um, too much, you know, like a kid in a candy store sort of thing, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And I was getting too drunk, and uh, I entertained one young woman in there all night, and the pastry chef caught us and told the owner, and I was not fired, but kind of, it was better if I just left, type of thing. So, Mm -hmm. the drinking now had now cost me my job.
0: And had it ever cost you your job before in no, that
1: way? No, Finally caught up with me and, you know, uh, but I, I knew that it was, I knew that I was in a bad, I knew that uh, this job was too much. Like I have access, I, I'm drinking way too much because I was buying, they would sell me rum at cost. So I would drink a fifth in a night or two. And I was going through like three fifths of rum at home, you know, in my own own apartment, plus all the rum I was drinking at work.
0: Easily a fifth of night. It some... was
1: getting up there. Yeah. And then I was like, I just need to get out. Like once that when I, you know, when I lost that job, I was like, I need to make a serious change. And that's when I called you and said, I need to come down there.
0: And I, I don't think that you had or I didn't let on, the severity of how much I was drinking in my own little Bukowski bungalow <laughs> yes. of fucking slop, <laughs> and filth.
1: Well if, um but I had an extra room or I had a I had an extra you, closet. You, you had a closet behind your refrigerator <laughs> uh that I needed to dry out in. But when we first when I first moved in there, it was we would have some wine and watch some TV. You it know? It seemed the, fine. Part, the party wine. It was very yeah. nice. Uh it didn't seem excessive at the time when I when I first got there. It didn't seem excessive. It just seemed like okay. Like and because Napa's so much smaller. I wasn't really going out to socialize. Right. There was a one bar that I would go to, Uva. I would sit there at the bar, and they would usually have some live music or whatever. That was like the only place that I went really in Napa. We went to a couple spots, but so the so the the going out and socializing and drinking was cut way down. It was mostly just a little bit of wine, hanging out with you. So that seemed to be like a step in the right direction. It was a reduction for me.
0: Right. And I know I was still like a good eight or nine months away from getting sober myself and figuring that out. I think but even longer. Was it? Yeah. So it was probably a year, almost two years. Because then.
1: then I remember I got a little too drunk at, uh, uh, what's his Ryan's name? house. Ryan's house. And I missed a step and... Um, it fucking hit hard. It fell down. down. Yeah. And I was like, I'm getting sloppy again. So that's when I first said, okay, I'm going to stop
0: for a year that's when you
1: well it didn't kick in until the the kidney stone thing Mm. that was in may of that was in may of 14 yeah and i stopped drinking then and then i moved back to seattle in january of 15 Mm -hmm. and i did not drink until october of 15 when i moved back and was living with jeff out on the right eastern napa So let's just talk about the kidney stone
0: and about the importance, or not the importance, but the, the, yeah, the importance of personal pain in making better decisions.
1: (laughs) Right. So most people won't change until something really traumatic, disastrous, catastrophic happens to them. Like you can give them all the good advice and tell them this is what you should do and avoid this and all of these things but it never really hits home until something major happens and for me it was this kidney stone issue which one day I woke up and my side hurt and I didn't know why I thought it was an appendicitis but I was in agonizing pain and I couldn't I couldn't lay down I couldn't sit I couldn't stand up like there was no there's no way to get comfortable I so I just rolling on the ground moaning in fucking agonizing pain And I didn't really know what to do. Like I knew I didn't want to go to the hospital and I didn't know what I couldn't make the pain. I couldn't manage it. So finally you came out.
0: Yeah. I came out of my room. I remember being very hungover and having to call into work first. I was just like, God, won't he stop fucking moaning if he's, if he's ill, like get out of here and go to the hospital or something, you know, like, and so it was like, well, I didn't know what else to do except to take you to the ER. Like if something's really wrong, what you know what are you gonna do what are you gonna do
1: to have the stone like and this wasn't passing the stone this was just the stone moving in the kidney that was causing all the pain because i never passed that stone um until over a year later almost a year to the day It was the next year in may when i was back in seattle where the stone actually passed but the pain was excruciating um And then I didn't want to go through that and I didn't have insurance. And I was like, what can I do to not have to go through this pain again? So I started searching, like, why do you get kidney stones? And what are, what should you do to not get them? And not drinking was one of the main things, uh, you know, cutting out all the things that can cause it. I was like, I got to give up this, you know, I gave up alcohol and coffee and whatever I thought was too acidic. Um, Other foods that, you know, are high in oxalates. and my had oxalate stones. So you're just trying to eliminate all these things that you could possibly, that cause you duress in the future. And there was a lot of things that I gave up, uh, that I was happy to give up because I don't want to have that pain again. So
0: it wasn't until that deep personal pain that you were able to make the decision to quit drinking. Right. At least...
1: That really fueled the... uh, the desire to make this, this is like, this is going to be a positive change. This is, I'm not, you know, I'm not going through this again. Mm -hmm. That just, that, that was enough pain to, to change me. That's what it took. And so
0: you did that for a year.
1: Let's see. That was a year. Yes. I, I did that for a year and a half.
0: Okay. And then a year and a half, you, you moved out of the, the place in the room behind my refrigerator. I moved out of G
1: street. I moved back to, Seattle, mm-hmm. and I wasn't drinking the whole time that I was back there. I had stopped drinking in the, the May of 14, and then through 15, I didn't, I didn't drink the whole time I was back in Seattle, and I was very lonely, like I didn't have anything, I had no social life. All the social life that I knew was going out to bars, seeing other people, you know, we would all drink, we would see each other when we drank. We didn't hang out outside of the bars. Um, it was... So th-
0: so there was nothing to replace it, I guess there is what was, I'm saying. Exactly. There was
1: no Like I would sit at home and read. I would do solitary things, but I it wasn't enough. I just felt lonely. I was sober and bored and lonely, you know? I was like I I did not have anything to replace it.
0: And yeah. there was no you weren't working any sort of program or
1: Nope, I was just saying I don't want to drink for a year um and I, just avoiding places where yeah. drinking
0: happened. Even if that even yeah. if that caused the loneliness or so you thought
1: i tried you know going out a couple times i would have cranberry juice in a wine glass and you know hang out and draw my cartoons have a little bite to eat or whatever but when you're sober you, it's hard to be around drunk people
0: yes it it's is like i don't
1: want to be you know i'd rather not socialize than be around these drunk people when i'm not feeling it yeah so it was lonely and i also didn't like being back in seattle the weather Still a struggle for me, even sober. It was like, this is not fun. Why am I here? Like I'm a single man, I have no nothing to hold me here. Why am I here in this bad weather? When there's good weather back in California. So you moved back to California. So I moved back to California, and I was living in that little cottage with Jeff. And that was 11 miles from town. It was just once you were there, you were there. You're not going to. There's no store to go to. There's no little bar down the street. I was like
0: there's more isolation.
1: It was a very isolated it was like I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm not going to hurt myself, get in any trouble if I have a little wine out here while I'm online or reading a book. So I started drinking red wine again and then he had that um, Mad Fitz beer stuff. Yeah. So he I I wasn't really drinking beer, but he had that fancy he gave me, you know, a bottle of. That was I was like, "Wow, this is great." I thought this is a fine way to enjoy alcohol. I, I'm just out here in the you know on this vineyard, around nobody, so it's not like I'm going to get blacked out drunk, and say something wrong to <laughs> to some woman or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. This is fine. So I started sipping some wine and, and that the beer and.
0: Did that work out?
1: It was. I wasn't. Yeah, it was fine. I wasn't doing. I wasn't getting in any trouble. There were no negative consequences to deal with.
0: Despite the loneliness and isolation.
1: That was there none, regardless of whether I was right. sober or not. Right. So, yeah, it was fine to catch a little bit of buzz and, you know, just take the edge off of it, like living in this weird, isolated place. Mm-hmm.
0: And then um, that that you went to Santa Barbara after that.
1: So then I moved to the place where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a weird party place. But I wasn't really in, into it that much. You know, they they were... That was the.
0: You were still sipping a little bit, and they were still but they were sipping, partying a lot. But they
1: were partying more. Right. But I, I was still just very temperate, not getting super wasted or anything like that. Just, mm-hmm. um, and then I moved to Santa Barbara, and then that's that was like a relapse. That's when the drinking got heavier. That's when I started smoking cigarettes again. Which still
0: blows my mind. Yeah, that like because you used years. to you used to get on my ass all the time about cigarettes. You'd be like, are you still, what would you say to me? Like, are you still puffing on those Gaspers? Yeah, Gaspers. <laughs> and then to hear that you were smoking cigarettes, and I'm just like... Eh.
1: You, may, you know, like, uh, loneliness, isolation can make you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And so I the last relationship that I was in was ill-fated, and I knew better. But I was so lonely that I was like, oh, I'll take this drama rather than... Nothing. And I'll smoke cigarettes. Since they're smoking cigarettes and I'm hanging out with them, I might as well smoke because I'm just breathing in the secondhand smoke. So it was a bad environment. And environment's very important. If you're going to be sober, you need to be in a proper environment. If you're going to be drunk, you're going to find yourself in a drunken environment. So I was, you know, I was isolated. I was living in Carpinteria, which is 11 miles, 14 miles south of Santa Barbara. So I had to drive back and forth. I'm hanging out with this girl that... I knew I shouldn't have been way too much of a partier. So I'm drinking, you know, get it, we get off work, we go drink everything. It's back in that alcoholic environment, which I'm thinking this is better than being alone, sitting in this tiny little room, like by myself, looking at my computer. That was a miserable existence. So I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to distract myself with, with this drinking and smoking and whatever nonsense. And uh, and once again, I just realized here, this is, this is a pointless cycle that I'm going through and I don't need to do it anymore. I just, that was when it got, again, it just hit me. How much pain are you gonna go through? Like, why are you suffering? Why are you putting up with this? And that's when I first realized, you know, there's, and it was from listening to you talk about your sobriety, I was like, there's more to it than, oh, I don't drink, now I just have to be lonely. Like, there's a whole other world beyond it. I just hadn't looked beyond it. And then I was like, you can go beyond you There's other things you can do. You don't have to just be, oh, I'm not drinking anymore. I'll just sit here forever by myself. I finally saw beyond the curtain on that, and and it was amazing. It's like, yes, you can. You can go run. You can you can meet up with somebody every Wednesday and draw stuff and make little videos and, mm-hmm. you know, prepare that for the next week to do that, and you can... Take care of your health and you can, you know, you have to, it's the environment. When you change your environment, the new possibilities arise. If you're still stuck in that old environment, it's really hard to like make the changes that you need.
0: Which is interesting because when you say that, because when you moved back from Santa Barbara, you moved back into the same exact room, mm-hmm. but the environment, the people that you were living with had changed completely. Completely.
1: So the one guy that was the was the main the main guy that rents out the other rooms he got rid of the partying roommates and he himself had a uh, was changed by pain he got super sick in January of I think January of 16 17 he got really ill and he said I'm gonna make some changes so he quit drinking quit smoking quit whatever other th- substances he was doing and he got super healthy and like went <laughs> vegan and fasting and, you know, working out and all these things. And his girlfriend who lives with him also got on board with that. So they live a totally healthy lifestyle. The other guy who lives there doesn't work out, but he's vegetarian. So there's no meat is cooked in there. It's all vegetarian, all healthy. Everybody's the environment is very healthy, which makes it so much easier. And then when you see people working out You're like, I got to, you know, you want to work out. I got to get my workout in. Oh, you know, I wonder how many reps Tony did or how many miles did he run or, you know, seeing your videos, you're out running like, you get in that environment that, you know, that uh, encourages that, reinforces that behavior. It's easy, much easier to go without, I need to go drink or I want to be in a bar or something like that.
0: Or that you feel you you have to be alone because there's no other options and this is something that i struggled with and i hear about where you don't you just can't see it until it's until it's revealed to you Mm -hmm. until something clicks there's just it doesn't exist at all and so that moment where you're like oh there are, are the things that i can do and be and be a part of and be connected to you know like that's been something that's like oh okay i get it now mm-hmm. there are actual things that can be just as not only just as fulfilling as i thought the alcohol was for me but so much more right than the alcohol ever could have i mean right. that was just it was lies and it was bullshit and yeah it was
1: so much bullshit it's oh um, it's so illusionary <laughs>
0: And so you've moved back to Northern California. Yes. And you've been here for a couple, two, three years now. Two years, I guess. Almost two years. Almost two years. It'll be
1: two years at the end of May.
0: And so, so, and you've been sober. I mean, you do. So let's talk about the, the your lifestyle now around uh, alcohol. Because okay. this is the part that's interesting and very different from mine. Okay. <laughs> so you, the curtain has been drawn. You uh-huh. realize, okay, I can still live a good life. I can be positive. I can be connected to other people. It doesn't have to be in every dark, dank bar, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, but you work as a bartender. Right. Um, you're around drunk people, or at least people who are drinking quite yes. a bit. Yes. Um, you're creating cocktails. You're making drinks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have every opportunity if you wanted to. Right. So, like how do you perceive your relationship with alcohol now? And um, what keeps you from falling back into old habits?
1: So now I don't drink because I just don't want to drink. I don't feel like if I have a drink that I would relapse or something bad would happen. I just know that I do better without it. Mm -hmm. I'm not tempted by it. But also, if I wanted to, I would do it and I wouldn't, you know, it would be fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go through any kind of like, Oh my God, I've got to fix myself or start all over because in the last year I've had, there were two times that I drank. I was with you once. Right. So we went to Jardinier for before it closed forever. And I wanted to like have some food and wine for old times' sake, just because I had such a, Hardcore relationship with this place. It's like, okay, I'm saying goodbye. And so I had some wine. I had, I think I had four or five glasses of wine with the dinner that we had. And that was in April. I think it was April 24th, 2019. And I hadn't had anything to drink since Lent. So that was February. I had not had anything since then um, till the April. And then I didn't have anything again until the end. Of, I think it was July 27th when I was back in Chicago. And I was talking to my... Cousin's husband, and we were talking about rums and this and that, and I still like to promote rum to people who are going to drink. And so I got him a shot, and then I got one too just to just to share, and that was the last alcohol that I drank. That was in July of 27th. And again, it was just that rum. I didn't drink anything after that. Didn't crave anything, you know. And uh, yeah, I just choose not to drink. I just know I do better without it. I like having sobriety. I like my mind to be clear. I don't feel like I have to escape that sober mentality where it used to be such a pain to not be inebriated somehow. Mm-hmm. Now, I really like it. And I want to stay that way. And so I don't want any alcohol to cloud it. I don't want to have to overcome it. I don't want to, to struggle to get through it in the morning like a hangover or just feeling lethargic, or depleted because of the alcohol. I don't want to stress my kidneys. No. Because I had the kidney, I had, you know, two op- episodes of kidney pain. I don't want to go through that anymore. I want to take care of my liver, my kidneys, all my organs. I'm much more conscious of them now than I used to be. So because you can't see your internal organs, you often don't think about them until something majorly wrong uh, signals you that you need to think about them. So now I, you know, I'm trying to do things to help my kidneys and help my liver. And I think that I have done enough damage to my liver already. Like I've had enough to drink. I've seen what it does. I've seen the cycles over and over. I understand them. I know that if I choose to drink, this is what's going to happen. And so I choose not to do that because I already know the behavior. I don't, if there were any answers for me, I would have found them. And what I did find, I didn't like. And so the answers are, you're not going to be successful in your relationships. You're going to spend too much money. Your health is going to suffer. You're going to just make some bad choices and, you know, do things that you shouldn't do. So it was, it was easy for me to do it without having to be like, you know, go to class or, uh, go to meetings or, you know, I didn't, I, I think it would be good to go to those just for the positive reinforcement and the environment. But I don't need, like, I don't, I'd never craved alcohol where like I can't get it through the day if I don't have it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. It was just, how do I not feel so depressed all the time? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. so now that I don't feel depressed, now that I have something to, that has replaced it, um I just want to keep nurturing that i want to, I want to be like uh I want to be about my health like I used to be about my drinks you know I want to turn that energy that I used to have towards going out into like being healthy and doing things that are good for me
0: and what are those things today?
1: Well, it's, you know, your exercise, your diet, your your environment doing like today, it's like we we generally do some sort of creative work, even this interview, Mm -hmm. these are the kind of things that help you, that sustain you, Um, having things to look forward to. But like Wednesday's our day to to talk about the cartoons and the projects, Um, but having a good routine, you know, the meditation and the cold water therapy and the running and exercise building a a routine that you can focus on, consistency and repetition. This helps, you know, like nurture the sobriety. And when you see the gains, oh, I can run that half marathon. I can, you know, I can carry these weights. You know, I can do these things. As you get older, this is what you want. You know, I see guys my age that that don't take care of themselves, that drink heavily, you know, how tired they look and how out of shape they are, just... It's like negative reinforcement for me. It's like, okay, I don't want to be like that. You were negative reinforcement for me when <laughs> yes, I, had I was quit drinking and you were still going at G Street. It's like, okay, this is how not to be. See see what you're missing out on? You know, look at look at how fucking hungover John is today. That could be you. You know, but it's better when it's positive reinforcement.
0: Right, of course. And I'm I'm happy that you that I could however it had to happen, it had to happen and I get it now. I see it now and it's like, oh man, I cannot believe and like but being right there in front of it and having that like reflected right to you is painful uh so so one of the other aspects of your sobriety that i i that's the strongest thing that i take in anymore is coffee is Mm -hmm. caffeine right and um but you still on occasion um use some medicinal herbs and or Funguses, yes, to celebrate certain yes. days of the year or moments. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk to me about uh, magic mushrooms and marijuana and their place in your sobriety from alcohol? Uh,
1: I believe that the mushrooms were very effective in helping me give up the cravings for alcohol and come and overcoming the cycles. Uh, when I was down in Santa Barbara towards the end, I was microdosing psilocybin, taking small amounts and walking along the beach and listening to what the plants had to tell me and, and they just showed me the cycle, like I could see my behavior and see where I went wrong. It made it very clear that the, the alcohol just didn't serve me. Um, and this with the marijuana like that can easily be overused as well. Some people smoke it all day, all the time, every day, and mm-hmm. I stopped smoking it because in anticipation of having to pass a drug test at the Fairmont. Mm-hmm. So I gave it up for months and didn't didn't really miss it. Um, it's nice to have a little bit on standby if you want to catch a buzz for something, if you want to watch you know a movie or something with a little.
0: And do you do that now? Like...
1: Sometimes, but less and less. Mm-hmm. Although I find that uh, ha- taking some edibles is a good way of uh, you, have, if you want an intense experience without the the uh, the detrimental effects of alcohol, you know these edibles offer an experience that uh, that doesn't do all the kind of stuff. Uh, I don't black out or you know stagger into things or whatever. Um, but again, I don't. This isn't. I don't do these things every day, or even every week. Uh, they're occasional. Uh, the, for the mushrooms, for the most part, now I would celebrate the solstices and the equinoxes with a little bit of a mushroom uh, perception. Uh, I think that there's some good medicine in them. I wouldn't use them to party, to go out, you know, to a club or something like that. To me, it's a lot more of a, a personal sort of a. a uh, just a experience excursion mm-hmm. for awareness. Um, so a different approach, not to not to be partying or raging or anything like that. But I, I do have a little bit of room for that.
0: You you're also currently going through a bit of a transitional phase with some with your living situation. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned about a day that you had was it yesterday where you you had some edibles and you 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 can you talk a little bit about. Being in the moment and how that helped, and what that the positive, the positive spin it helped put on your situation, which could have been seen as negative.
1: Yeah. So trying to find a new place, not knowing uh, where you're going to be next month and how that's going to work out uh, causes a little bit of stress, can lead you down sort of a a dark road or negative thoughts. And I, so I took an edible and I listened to uh, some Burning Spears, and my favorite reggae. Uh, old school roots reggae and it's just folding laundry and doing things um, and just came into this realization that, you know, the days in this place are going to be gone soon and I should enjoy them. So I was sort of dancing around and just really in the moment really appreciating this is what I have right now and whatever else is coming is going to be fine. But I should enjoy this now and I did and for several hours it was very very present and just very happy to be in that moment and not worry about oh in two weeks what's going to happen or you know it relieved the the anxiousness and anxiety and you know really made me appreciate what i have
0: and you talked about an aspect of yourself that you don't see a lot came out Mm
1: -hmm. yeah uh, uh, just sort of dancing around like by myself listening to this music you know I remember when I used to go to concerts and listen to reggae and like what I felt at the time and uh, Burning Spirits talks a lot about consciousness and you know so you have like this such a block rocking beat and he's talking about like all these positive things you know and overcoming you know some fucked up history and all these things it's just like i just was like oh i remember this guy that used to be into this all the time just a nice little flashback and a a remembrance of some things that don't really get celebrated that much yeah
0: it was very pleasant yeah so what do you how do you how do you deal with it being at the bar? Like that's something too that I, I I struggle with working in restaurants, and I will be probably tending bar here very soon at a new place. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your your What is your advice for anybody? I mean, in this in these situations where you're around it all the time,
1: I, I try to like to be. I don't want to like. I, I since I work in a bar, I have to I have to sell the booze. I try to make it as pleasant as I can for people. I don't want to come across as, I'm a bartender and I don't drink and I don't approve of you drinking and <laughs> you shouldn't be eating that meat either. And blah. <laughs> so if I'm going to be in that business, I'll just handle that business. I am um, not. I myself am not tempted to drink. It's not like watching these people drink makes me want to drink. In fact, it makes me happy that I'm not drinking and I'm happy to be the one who makes the drinks. You guys can drink them, and but I'm not going to drink them. Um, and I try to help people be as responsible as possible and don't over encourage any anybody you know like I don't want to see them get sloppy or you know purposely over them but right. just have a good time and for the most part the people that are, they come in there are just you know they're not looking to get wasted mm-hmm. so that helps that it's not like a, a hardcore drinking bar it's more like a lot of people come in there to eat they sit at the bar and have some wine and have some Greek food and and it's not you know the environment is not overly boozy
0: right right and so um, I guess in conclusion I'm kind of curious like how do you describe your program of sobriety your own personal program of sobriety not Mm -hmm. that I'm not saying that you have to have a list of tenants or something like that Uh but when you think about yourself as a sober person yeah what is your program
1: Well, uh, don't drink. That's a good start. Don't drink any alcohol. (laughs) Um, My program is that I want to just... I want to be... I want to age as gracefully and as healthfully healthfully as I can. So I get up early as I can. I do my meditation. take my cold shower. get my exercise. I just... You know, I write in my journal every day. I try to set the tone, try to have some things that I focus on every day. This is what I want to do. And you know, I just I just feel grateful to to be sober that I I just want it to go on. Like I don't want to I don't want to interrupt it. Um so I'm just I'm just I just now look at it as a cycle of of health healthiness instead of drunkenness and i just focus on what i can do every day to nurture that health you know nurture that consciousness Um, just make it as organic and natural and integrated as i can and i find that i do that by having a, a routine that i i practice every day
0: sounds awesome yeah well, thank you <laughs> for, for stopping by. Sure, and man. I mean, <laughs> and, uh, it's
1: nice to talk with you.
0: Yes, and I appreciate. I know that our, our paths have taken a very circuitous route to finally connect on yeah. the same level of yeah. health, wealth, and knowledge of self. But I'm it, glad that we're here now.
1: I am too, man. It's, <clears throat> it's funny how things work out. Mm-hmm. Thanks again
0: for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at alcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later.
1: Yeah.